Hi everyone, thanks for listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's not long to go till the start of the season, just about 10 days as I record this. And we're absolutely buzzing. And you might think it'd be a strange time to take a holiday, but that's what George has decided to do. So I've done this week what I did last season uh, when George took a bit of time out. And I thought, who can we speak to to give us some value ahead of the new season? And I think I've nailed it. Here's what you're going to hear. A Fulham fan, Sammy James from Fulhamish. A Cardiff fan, Scott Salter from View from the Ninian. And first up, Stephen Chicken, who covers Huddersfield Town for the Examiner. And the reason I wanted to talk to them and get some insight is a big conundrum when I'm putting together my predictions for the season. Of course, our combined 1-24 to league predictions will be out this time next week, probably on Tuesday morning, Tuesday the 30th. One of the big issues for me is working out how to judge the relegated teams because it's it's obviously more complicated than they have the best players and they have parachute payments. Only Newcastle and Burnley in the last seven years or so have bounced straight back up automatically. So having been burned by Stoke last year, I decided to do a little bit more research this year. We've spoken to uh, one person for each club who really understands what's going on and all three of them have given me some fantastic insight. And then there's a real bonus after this. Uh, if you're not so interested in the championship or if you're not interested in hearing about Fulham, Cardiff and Huddersfield and how they shape up going into the season, well, maybe you'll be interested to hear from the fantastic Gavin Miller from the Pure Fit Bar podcast. And he knows everything there is to know about Scottish football. Now, the relevance for us is there's quite a lot of players that have moved from Scotland to England this summer, transfers into the EFL, and we don't know too much about a lot of those guys. So he's been kind enough to run us through a lot of the players who have moved down from Scotland to the EFL, who we should be excited about, and who perhaps less so. I've put the time codes for Huddersfield, for Fulham, and for Cardiff, and for our Scottish football to English football transfers chat in the description to the podcast so you can zoom to the bit that you're most interested in and crack on like that. We hope you enjoy this. Next week is a huge, huge week, the 1 to 24 predictions. But as of now, here's something to help you with your own predictions. It's time to talk Huddersfield Town. Our great friends from the 2016-17 season genuinely helped us get this podcast off the ground when we predicted them to finish in the playoffs when most others were predicting relegation. That was the first time we ever did our our 1-24 to uh, league predictions pre-season, which of course are very much on the horizon this time around. Uh, But we want to know really what's happened since that famous promotion uh, in what was maybe the worst playoff final I can ever remember. Um, We're going to talk to to Stephen Chicken, his Huddersfield Town writer for The Examiner. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me and and lending us some of your expertise. No, absolute pleasure. Now, uh, fair to say that just staying up in the first season for Huddersfield in their Premier League adventure was a a genuinely fantastic achievement. Um, What is the general consensus on why Huddersfield were relegated last season with just 16 points and, and three wins in that Premier League campaign? So the mythology that's kind of come up around it, which I think I would kind of go along with, is that uh, when Huddersfield played Tottenham towards the end of the first season, they got absolutely battered. Uh, and that kind of put the willies up David Wagner in a way. 
David Wagner is you is you the fans who remember Town's promotion season when they finished with a negative goal difference but still went up. They never scored too many goals to begin with, but that result in particular really is is seen as the turning point where Wagner became too defensive, if anything. The other issue that they had was that last season they signed David Wagner a load of wingers because he said he was going to play 4-2-3-1. They signed him three wingers. And then after two games of the season, he decided, actually, I'm not going to play wingers and went to five at the back. <laughs> so so the signings that they'd made ended up being effectively useless and played no part in the, in the, the, the rest of the season. I mean, it's strange because in a way, if they had gone down in the first season, everyone would have just expected that. The fact that they stayed in the Premier League for the first season was kind of a miracle on a par with even achieving the promotion in the first place. Um, and if they'd kind of gone down fighting in the in the first season, they almost would have been... It, that's what all anyone was expecting anyway. Yeah, yeah. The fact that they then stayed up, I think, it didn't raise the expectations but it made it even more disappointing that they had such a, a horrendous time of it last year. Um, obviously, they replaced David Wagner with Jan Sievert midway through the season. Uh, it was a mutual consent that was apparently actually genuinely a mutual consent with Wagner and uh, and the club. Sievert obviously hasn't had much of a didn't really have much of a chance. Town were it was an odd position that that they were practically already down when he joined the club in in January mm-hmm. as early as that so that, that was obviously a very difficult job for him so I mean we'll get to Sievert in a second what do you think having had two years in the Premier League after that amazing promotion what do you see as being the expectations for the forthcoming season maybe from within the club if you've heard anything or if you sort of picked up a vibe or and also from the fans who you'll interact with a lot yeah I mean they weirdly, they both seem to kind of be on the same page. Uh, the, the club has been taken over by 75% of the club has been bought by Phil Hodgkinson, who's a local businessman, uh, who's bought the majority of the club from Dean Hoyle, who has been the chairman for the last 10 years. Dean Hoyle, unusually for a football chairman, is en- enormously popular because of the work that he's done, not just on the pitch with town, but also making them financially stable because they weren't when he took over and also being a, a real, turning them into a proper community club that do a lot of charity work and things like that. So he sold the majority of the club to Phil Hodgkinson and Hodgkinson has been very, um, uh, not outspoken, that's the wrong word, but he's been uh, quite accessible. He has been bullish and he's also been quite accessible to the fans. He did a like a two-hour Q&A uh, recently where he answered the fans' questions, and he didn't really shy away from too many of those questions. So he, the way that he's talking, the way that Sievert's talking, is that they're not going to solve all of the issues that they have in this one transfer window, which suggests that they're kind of trying to temper some of those expectations. I'm not sure how necessary that is, because the fans... Uh, we, we did a, a poll of what where the fans expect the club to finish this season, and no one is expecting or very, very, very few fans are expecting to get automatic promotion straight back to the Premier League. Um, I think most sort of the, the playoffs they would see as the limit of the ambitions. But but there's more still, I think, that think a, a top half finish 
is probably about right. So I think most people are probably expecting Town to finish around about eighth. And I kind of get the vibe from the club that if they finished eighth and there were signs of progress throughout the season, then they'd be relatively happy with that. Yeah, that's that's very understanding. And uh, well, understanding, I suppose, from the fans and understandable and uh, kind of a relief actually to hear because sometimes the the outwards ambition of teams that come down can can seem a a bit over the top and be potentially quite dangerous for the club in 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 the mid to long term so i mean i suppose i, I was going to ask about jan sievert by by sort of suggesting whether he might be under pressure to start well but perhaps slightly less than i was expecting given what you've said there um he obviously came into the job in a very difficult period but consistently losing games is it, it, it makes it quite difficult for people to to warm to you because you know if if you haven't seen a successful Huddersfield under Sievert, then um, you know it's difficult for fans. How do you think his his how how sort of secure do you think his job is to start this season? And um, can you give me an idea of of what his philosophy or style of play is like compared to someone like Wagner who we saw before him? Yeah, sure. So, so in terms of his job security and sort of what the fans expect, there are obviously fans that, that have not been impressed with what he did in the Premier League. He only won one game after he took over from Wagner. But he did get two draws at the end of last season, one against Manchester United, one against Southampton, that, that won a few people. I think those two draws won a few people over. But more especially, I think the way that, that they've gone about things this summer has maybe quelled a few, and, a, and a little bit of time and distance from the Premier League season has kind of quelled some of those fears. It's clear that he's going for a big change of style. He's a he's although he never actually strangely enough although he never worked with Jurgen Klopp like David Wagner did. Uh, he is much he seems to be much closer to the Jurgen Klopp school of of play. So he's he's setting up. We've seen from preseason the games already that he's setting up the teams to press high up the pitch win the ball and, and turn it around quickly and, and try and score goals from from there. He's also spoken about how he wants the team to be exciting and attacking. Um, even even when they were getting, you know, beaten 5-0 or whatever it was uh, towards the end of last season, he was talking about how he wanted to, to develop the style of play to be more attacking, a bit more progressive, which is a bit of a departure from Wagner, as we've touched on. Wagner was always quite a defensive manager. Um, Siva is very personable. I think the more the fans see of him this summer, the more they've um, come to appreciate him. So we, we were out on a pre-season tour of Austria earlier this summer. Uh, and he was, you know, every time he turned up to the training ground, he was saying hello to all the fans, going around shaking hands, uh, you know, giving kids high fives and things like that. Um, which I think does go a long way in kind of a smaller town club like like Huddersfield. Um, but yeah, as you say, I mean, it's easy to imagine that if they get off to a bad start, things might turn against him. But the clubs seem to be, from the noises they're making, in, in it for the long term. As I say, they've talked about the fact that they're expecting it to, to take several transfer windows for everything to start working properly. Mm. And, and um, he's... <sighs> It's, they, well, one, they've got a difficult run of games to begin with because they've got uh, Derby at home. QPR away isn't too bad, but it's still an away game. And then they've got Fulham and Cardiff straight after that. So it's a it's a really difficult start. But two, the new chairman, Phil Hodgkinson, has said that he was actually kept informed 
of the recruitment of the new manager. He was kept informed last season when his negotiations were ongoing to buy the majority of the club, that he was kept informed of what the situation was with David Wagner and was kept informed as to what was going on with appointing his successor. And he's spoken very highly of Siva and says that Siva is is the man for him. He's completely sought. He said that there was nothing about Jan Siva he didn't like. Uh, so all, all the signs, all the noises they're making suggest that even if they don't get off to a great start, he will be given time to develop it. And I think there's a recognition that he's changing that playing style and that's going to take time. However, if they were to go out and win one of their first 10, then <laughs> you wonder how long that would last. No, it so. sounds like, as you mentioned there, that the break has done everyone a, a bit of good. And, you know, as we said, he was parachuted into a, a very tricky situation. Um, you spoke about recruitment and how everyone seems to be pretty pleased with how things are going so far. So obviously can be a, um, a really important part of a post-relegation summer for relegated Premier League clubs because for many clubs, they'll have high earners, pot- potentially unsustainably high earners. They'll also have players who are sort of linked with a, a failure who the fans haven't particularly warmed to and all sorts of things to, to, to bear in mind. And how much of those parachute payments do you spend is always very much a, a big question and, and something to think about. And to, looking at the transfer marked page here, uh, and, and sort of having followed it this summer, very much not splashing the cash in reaction to this um, prom- uh, relegation, rather. What can you tell us about some of the transfer business? Uh, we obviously know Reese Brown very well and talked to him up a lot in League Two terms last season. Tommy Elphick as well, someone uh, experienced at championship level. And then uh, Herbert Bockhorn, who's surely the, the best name in the division this season. Yeah, I mean, we don't know too much about Bockhorn. Um, I have to say, like, we've obviously we've spoken to people out in Germany, but he's spent his entire career playing. Well, he spent the last few years playing for Dortmund's second team without ever actually making it into the Dortmund first team. That Part of that was apparently down to bad timing. There were a couple of times when he was on the verge of making a breakthrough, um, but then got injured himself and so and so didn't. But obviously he's someone that Jan Sievert knows really well because Sievert managed him uh, at, at Dortmund's second team. Tommy Elphick brings leadership to, to the, the back four alongside the captain, Christopher Schindler. And the fans are, are I think, pretty pleased with the, like, sort of, it's hard to get too excited by a centre-back, but I think as far as it goes, to get to get someone with Elphick's, you know, wait till, wait till they see his um, Wait till they see his pre-match routine. I don't know if you've caught that on pre-season, but he does quite a bizarre, he almost sort of makes love Ooh. to one of the uh, to one of the goalposts and really gives it the big end. So he, he's always a... A fan favourite wherever he goes. Um, That's what to look at for. Uh, and then Karoma, who scored some goals for Leighton Orient last season, I'm guessing not sort of tipped to be a, a starter straight away. I noticed that um, generally looking at the squad, um, there's there's still there's still just quite a lot of bodies really from from the looks of things anyway. And there's a, a couple of guys that I don't know a huge amount about especially some of the wide men. I was hoping you could run me through it. It seems like if, if it's going to be a high press, this is probably going to be a, uh, a situation where wide men are going to be very much key parts of this team. Um, and the likes of, of Diakabi and Mbenza and Sabiri, are these guys likely to be involved? Are any of these players in your eyes ready to, to sort of set the league alight this season? Sabiri won't be involved. Sabiri is is one of a group of players that that I think the club have been reasonably upfront about has fallen out with the club and won't be involved in first season uh, in first 
they won't be involved in first team football this season. Okay. Uh, there's three that have been missed. If you look on transfer mark, there's three that don't have squad numbers. They've been intentionally left off the list of squad numbers. Those are Zanka, the centre back, Philip Billing, uh, who is still at time of recording, still at the club, although he's been linked with a move away as we're recording this, and Abdel Hamid Sabiri, who has been told that he can find a new club. But you're right, there, there is a massive... They've got so many wingers. They've got seven players that are capable of playing on the wing. You would think that they would want to trim some of that fat. But And Benza uh, had a lot of injuries last season, but he did score a goal against Manchester United, which was the equaliser in the last home game of the season, which helps. He's been on, in pre... We've not seen him in pre-season yet because he's been on international duty with... Belgium uh, at the under 21 Euros. Okay. So he hasn't he hasn't played any of the preseason games yet. But Dear Carby has looked good. The other interesting thing on the wing is that Alex Pritchard, who your listeners will be familiar with, who used to play as a number ten, yeah. has has been converted into a left winger right at the end of this season, at, at the, right at the end of last season, and throughout the summer he's been playing on the left wing and has actually looked quite handy out there. Okay. So, yeah, there is a lot of excess on the wings, but otherwise the, the squad seems reasonably well balanced. Carlin Grant up front is someone that I'm sure you will have spoken about. He, he came up from Charlton straight to the Premier League and Town have had a lot of problems trying to get their strikers scoring, but he immediately had an impact. And he's a strange one as, as a writer because there's, there's almost not a lot to say about him because everyone just knows that he's competent <laughs> and if he gets chances, he's going to score them. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of expectation on Carlin Grant. In midfield, obviously, Aaron Moy is the, is the big name and Jonathan Hogg's a familiar figure in there as well. But a, a, a lot of town fans are very excited to see what Janino Bakuna can do. Nice. Uh, he's, a Dutch, he's a Dutchman who signed last summer. He didn't play very much under Wagner, but he got a lot of minutes under Sievert. And he was town's best performer sort of toward the last sort of quarter third of last season which i know isn't you know it's it's not terribly high praise but he, he seems to have a little bit of everything uh he gets stuck in but he can also pick out a pass he's got a hell of a shot on him when when he you know if he gets a, a sight on goal uh and he's got a little bit of flair so he's kind of he's a very very well-rounded box-to-box midfielder and a lot of fans are very excited to see what bakuna can do in the coming season i think if, if there's a sort of a surprise package in the town side that fans from outside the club aren't aware of. It's probably going to be him. Great. Central defence looks very strong, mm. even with Zanka on his way out. Uh, obviously, Congolo, uh, I, I would consider to be a very talented uh, central defender. And then Schindler, we know really well, was really such a rock in the promotion campaign and I'm sure has, has continued to be a leader. And Elphick, who we spoke about, looks like they might be a little light at left back. Is that a position... Uh, especially I'm thinking if Pritchard is playing off the left, presumably drifting in uh, somewhat, uh, maybe maybe a left-back who can who can sort of overlap and provide a bit of an outlet there. I noticed that both Durham and Lerva left uh, at the beginning of the summer. Yeah, that's right. So Lerva was well-liked, but he was uh, he, he wanted to go back to Germany because he, he had a young family and it was kind of a gentleman's agreement, I think, they had between him and the club that they would let him go this summer, whatever happened. So um, Congolo's the man that's been playing left-back uh, this summer. He has played there before, both at town and at his previous clubs. So although he's capable of playing centre-back, I think Elphick and Schindler will be the pairing. It'll be a 4-3-3, so they won't need the third centre-back there. 
But you're right. I mean, the, the backup to him is Jaden Brown, who was signed from Spurs Academy last year. He hasn't played any competitive football for town yet, but he was quite highly regarded in the academy setup. Uh, and I think they see him as a solid backup. There, there are a couple of other players in the academy that, that aren't listed on the transfer marked, but will be once the season begins, I think. Uh, Lewis O'Brien, who you'll have yes. covered a lot at Bradford last season. Yeah. Uh, he's been, I would say, out of everyone, the outstanding performer in, in the preseason friendly so far for town, uh, playing in central midfield. He's been really excellent. Uh, winning the ball um, in particular, but also laying it off and finding the right passes, having won the ball. And uh, Ramani Edmonds-Green, who's a, a centre-back, he's a bit of an unknown element. He's only played academy football and a little bit for a local team, Brighouse Town, on loan last season. But he's a very quick centre-back uh, who provides the extra centre-back cover there. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so th- they've, got, they've got those sort of, and, and Matty Daly is the other one. Uh, the, the, he's sort of an attacking midfielder. He's the youngest member of the team. He's he's only 18. Okay. He made two, two appearances in the Premier League last season. And I doubt he'll be starting every week, but I think he'll be get quite a lot of substitute appearances as the season goes on. And last question, it's just a yes or no, really. Um, will Aaron Moy be playing for Huddersfield Town at least to start this season? Maybe it's, I, not, maybe it's not as easy as yes or no. As it stands, I think he will be, but it could quickly change. So, so Town are taking quite a hard line that they're not going to accept any bids that don't meet their valuation, even for the players that want to leave. And Aaron Moore, you would think, would be one of the more in-demand players. But so far, there hasn't been anything too solid linking him with a move away the way that there has been for, say, Tommy Smith, who has gone to Stoke, and or for Philip Billing. We've not had the same uh, vibe from the club that there's been serious bids that they're considering okay. for Moy. So as it stands, it looks like he will be with the club next season. Yeah, it doesn't strike me as a sort of uh, character who will be particularly disruptive if uh, if he doesn't get a move early on. Um, and, yeah, Stephen, I think we've we've got plenty out of you. I tell you what, that is some fantastic insight and uh, has, has made me... F- definitely much more positive about Huddersfield Town than I was 20 minutes ago. Um, Everything seems worryingly stable and everyone seems to be more or less on the same page with uh, with a a good squad that's kind of raring to go. So plenty to look forward to. We are very excited to be covering the Terriers again. And of course, you do so every day for the Examiner um, at Stephen Chicken on Twitter. Uh, certainly the man to follow for your Huddersfield news. So thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Right. Fulham Football Club next on the agenda. I must admit, George and I never thought that we would be talking about Fulham again so soon. Just one season in the Premier League. And we weren't the only ones who thought they looked fairly well set uh, for a decent effort, a decent tilt at Premier League level. Of course, that wasn't to be. And I'm very lucky to have Sammy James from the excellent Fulhamish podcast, one of, if not the best, club-specific podcast around joining me. Sammy, welcome back to the EFL. That I'm <laughs> instantly realising is probably not what you wanted to hear, but... Uh, yeah, how, how how are you feeling as a Fulham fan ahead of the new season? 
Well, you say uh, probably not happy to hear that, but in, in lots of ways, very happy to hear that. I mean, obviously, you want your team playing in the highest level possible and doing as well as they can, and last season was thoroughly miserable. But another reason that last season was thoroughly miserable is because I think a lot of Fulham fans, including myself, thoroughly missed the championship. <laughs> so, um, in many ways, happy to be back. Better away days, uh, more wins, more interesting division. So... In lots of ways, it is good to be back, although I'd like to walk the league and get 120 points. <laughs> OK, right. We're going to look forward mostly, but just to start with, uh, something you will have discussed on your own podcast pretty much twice weekly for about 10 months. Um, so I'm going to test your very impressive broadcasting chops by asking you to give me the concise version of the story. The question is, what the hell happened last season? Why are Fulham back uh, in the Championship? Oh, where to start, Ali? Well, it all started roughly this time last year, and it's really interesting watching teams, uh, particularly Villa at the moment, um, with their tilt in the transfer window. And, and Fulham's transfer window last year was very protracted. We spent nearly 120 million. A lot of people banned around 100 million. It was actually much more than that and made several additions to the squad and at the time they looked like terrific additions you bring in players like John Michelseri who had been tipped for a move to Barcelona um, and 12 months later he's just gone on loan to Galatasaray and there were lots of failings in the transfer market um, and lots of failings to get players in the right positions we spent most of our money in midfield when actually arguably that was one of our strongest areas. Um, defence wasn't improved and, and let us down all season, really. We, we struggled to get going, struggled to get wins on the board early doors. The visa was gone. And then it was just a car crash ever since. You brought in someone like Claudio Ranieri, um, who played almost the antithesis um, of football compared to the way that Slavisa likes to get it down on the deck, tries to play long ball football with players that like to play rondas around the pitch and he spectacularly failed. Uh, and by the time that Scott Parker came in, the damage was already done and there was absolutely no way that he was going to save us. Um, well, I think that's a pretty good, I think you've done a pretty good job there and I don't want you, yeah. to, I don't want you to dwell on it too long because really the point of the podcast is how's the club looking heading into the new season? Enough about the Premier League. Let's talk about the Championship. I guess the first question, and it, I think it's really important when you are trying to analyse a recent, re recently relegated team, is try and understand what the expectations are um, from both within the club, if you've heard anything or if you have an idea from what's been spoken about uh, from people within the club, but also the fans' expectations. I have a feeling uh, that Fulham's might be quite high, especially after some of the recent transfer business. Oh, it's really high. In the club, it's top two. There is, there is no doubt. Tony has uh, said it, Tony Khan... Um, the director of football, Scott has said it. Kevin McDonald um, did an interview with the website uh, a couple of weeks ago while they're in Portugal, and there is only one aim: it is top two. And then there's kind of a customary line: and if we have to go do the playoffs, then we are winning the playoffs. There is no <laughs> expectation um, to finish anywhere else underneath a um, promoted spot in in the championship. So, so expectations are really high amongst the fans. 
I mean, certainly it's hard not to get excited um, when you manage to tie down the futures of players like Mitrovic and Kearney, who we were all just accepting um, were going to go this summer. And, and when you have a front three of Mitrovic, Cavalero and Nokar, again, it's really hard to temper fans' expectations. But part of me, part of me is scared that we're all getting well ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you're right to be scared because with high expectations comes the potential for great, great failure, spectacular failure. Um, Tell me a bit about Scott Parker, who leads this Fulham side to championship promotion or so so you would have us believe or so you would wish, I should say. Um, He had 10 games or so at, at the end of last season, taking over from Ranieri, who had taken over from Jokanovic. Were those 10 games sort of, enough for you to consider him the, the, the best man, a good appointment in terms of getting Fulham straight back up? Well, kind of, yes and no. Certainly, I mean, he lost his first five or six games, I think, believe, six games in charge, which certainly wasn't the greatest start, but there was a massive improvement in the performance, and you have to acknowledge that of those six games, I know at least three were against um, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City, so what could you reasonably expect? And actually, in those games against those big clubs, we actually held ourselves really well, um, and uh, particularly Chelsea and Liverpool frightened them, and very nearly came away with a point in both games. And then he won three on the spin, he was. Well, we were the team that pretty much relegated Cardiff. We then beat Everton and we also beat Bournemouth away as well, which is a really impressive little run of three games. And after that, they pretty much couldn't not give him the job, mm. coupled with the fact that the players almost had gone on record to say that the only chance that will stay is if Parker gets appointed. So Parker put, put himself in a perfect position by winning a few games and also just having that player power on side because the club will know that the best chance of us going back up is by keeping players like Mitrovic and Kearney. And they, it sounds like they almost gave a, a, an unwritten ultimatum to the cards by saying, well, the only chance will stay is if you appoint Scott Parker. So he's got the job. I mean, he's inexperienced and he, but like, like you almost can't judge him on last season because it was such a bizarre situation where we were just walking wounded for 10 games. And yes, we won a few because we had no pressure on us, but we also lost some because we had no pressure on us. So it really all starts against Barnsley and it's so hard to judge him. The only good thing, sorry to go on, is that he will be playing a 4-3-3 style with the ball on the deck, which is what suits most of our squad and what most of the fans want. So that's another big, big tick. Yeah, I was get, that was going to be my next question about style of play. We certainly droned on about Fulham being the best footballing team in the division, uh, in the championship, and, and very much stand by it. So we're very much hoping that that, that is uh, the same sort of thing. That The only thing I would say about what you said about Parker is... Um, I suppose it, it's it's I mean it's a great job for him to have. The issue will be as an inexperienced manager, perhaps not really having the the scope to to show inexperience, to make mistakes and learn on the job. We saw a similar thing with Darren Moore last season. When the expectations are so high, the pressure is obviously on, and so any any sort of poor start is is going to be exacerbated somewhat. Um, just in terms of of shape and style, you mentioned four three three there. 
Uh, I suppose it, it seems fairly obvious that we're looking at a, a Cavalero Mitrovic knockout front three, which is absolutely terrifying. Um, <laughs> familiar faces, uh, Abo Kamara, AK-47, and uh, Floyd Ayite, Neskins Cabano, all still in the squad to offer depth in, in that area of the pitch. Um, I wanted to ask about Ryan Sessegnon. He's someone that all listeners will know about, all listeners will remember from his goal-scoring exploits two seasons ago. What's happening with Sessegnon? Are we going to see him in the Championship this year? No, almost certainly not. I mean, stories have developed today that uh, his move to Spurs uh, is becoming more and more likely. We've been resigned to him going all summer. Uh, we had Tony Khan on our podcast earlier in the summer. And whilst we couldn't directly ask him about it on that podcast, because he basically said, I don't know what's happening, reading between the lines, he, I, I just think he's he's gone. Mm. His head's been turned, and this is probably a long-term um, move by by him and his agent for him to go and get his big Premier League move. Don't really begrudge it. I'm also not 100% sure it's exactly the right time for him. He didn't impress in the Prem last season, apart from a few games here or there. And I, and I think he might be a little bit lost in Tottenham's squad for a couple of seasons. Mm. But, you, you know, when if you put yourself in his shoes... Um, they come with all that money and the chance to work under a manager like like Pochettino with, with that squad they've got in the new stadium, whose head wouldn't be turned. Even as a Fulham fan, my head might be turned by that. So good luck to him, but I, I can't see him being in the squad next season. And also, if he doesn't go for any reason, I'm not 100% sure Fulham will play it unless he signs a new contract because otherwise he has to go on a free next year as well so I think Fulham might give him a bit of an ultimatum that if you want to stay you sign a deal if not it's the under 23s now the good news is we're always looking for the exciting young talent of course Ryan Sessegnon ticks that box or did so certainly two years ago good news is his twin brother Stephen still very much at the club any chance that Stephen Sessegnon will be playing for, for Fulham this season and what sort of player is he I think he's definitely going to be in and out of the team um, this year. He started the pre-season, or at least featured a lot in the pre-season friendly against Brighton on Saturday. I wasn't there myself, but um, all reports seem to suggest that he had a really, really solid game. And he plays um, right back, does he? Yeah, he plays right back. So that's and that's one of our real weak spots, especially last season. I think lots of fans have doubts over Cyrus Christie's qualities. Although I actually personally believe he's more than enough for this division. Yes, he got run ragged a few times in the Prem last season, but you know I think he's more than capable at this level. I would like to see a, a, a switch between um, Seth and, and Cyrus Christie throughout the season. There's also another youngster called Marlon Fossey. Uh, who plays, uh, he can play right back, plays a similar position. And um, he is also very, very high, highly regarded. And there might be a chance of seeing him. There's a few youngsters actually uh, waiting in the wings. Um, Matt O'Reilly and Luca De La Torre, uh, another couple of youngsters that are highly talked about as well. And, and I hope that we get to see a little bit of them. But it's always really, really hard when you are absolutely gunning for auto-promotion to give those chances to young players, unless you are cruising 3-0 up in a game and it's difficult to, to give those opportunities to those youngsters when you, you end up when the stakes are so high. Right, two more topics. We've spoken about the, the front three. Um, run me through the defence and the midfield because this, there's a lot of recognisable names from two years ago. Tim Ream, obviously, at the back. Christy, you mentioned. Odoi is still there at the moment. But also Joe Bryan, 
uh, Alfie Mawson, Maxime Le Marchand. Don't know much about him. Uh, Mawson, of course, we know, and, and, and Brian too. So it, it, what's your sort of starting back four at this stage? Well, you, you imagine, uh, well, goalkeeper's a very interesting one because you've got Marcus Bessinelli, um, but you've also got Marek Rodak, who was very, very impressive at Rotherham last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people actually reckon that as the season goes on, we wouldn't be surprised if Marek takes Bettinelli's spot and bets a few mistakes in pre-season and Rodak looks really, really solid. So that's a genuine um, competition um, for the number one spot. Then the back four, as you mentioned, it's going to be Joe Bryan on the left back. Um, some like some doubts over his defensive ability, but going forward, he's absolutely electric, as, as Bristol City fans will know. Yeah. At the moment, you'd imagine the starting centre-back pairing is going to be Tim Ream and Alfie Mawson. I think they want to build the team around Alfie. Um, and he certainly was missed at the back end of last season when, it, when he was injured for most of it. Um, so it'd be good to see a, a fully fit Alfie Mawson dominating at the back. And then probably Cyrus Christie, but I would I would guess there's going to be another signing coming. Uh, a lot of people talking about Michael Hector okay. uh, coming in for, from Chelsea, which would be a wicked signing uh, if we get him. I know Sheffield Wednesday fans rated him uh, really really highly last year, and and a lot of fans would love to see uh, a, a really solid right back come in as well. So I think there's going to be some changes there. Um, I imagine then you'll dip in with with players like uh, Maxime Lamarche on. Uh, being a bit of a backup uh, centre back, I can't see him uh, starting more than fifteen twenty games this season. Uh, he was one of the players signed last summer. Another one, uh, Mister Onguisa, uh, Andre yes. Zambo Onguisa. I need you to tell me about him. It strikes me that the front four, if you will, or the front three plus Kearney pulling the strings, uh, while very exciting. You know, they're they're. There's some there's some legs needed. There's some steel needed, perhaps, in order to balance that out. So two midfield slots. I'm looking at Onguisa, Stefan Johansson, of course, who was kind of out in the cold and sent on loan last season, and old uh, K-Mac, Kevin McDonald, who who we remember from two years ago. Although, is it sort of two of those three that'll be backing up Kearney? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a bit of misconception about Anguissa. It's even still in the Fulham fan base that he's he's, he's a defensive mid, um, and he's really not. He's more of a, a number eight, box to box. Um, he's got a brilliant, brilliant legs on him. Uh, in, in, in more in the uh, <laughs> metaphorical sense, in the um, footballing sense. Yeah, in the footballing sense. Um, and it, yeah, terrific engine. And towards the end of last season, he was our best player. He was man of the match on three or four occasions. He missed so much of the season due to suspension, injury, and just not being liked that much by Claudio Ranieri. There are, play, there, are, there are a few fans talking about Anguissa being championship player of the season. If he can turn it on, he has got that quality to absolutely run our midfield and, and be a beast at this level. Hopefully we hold on to him. We haven't seen him loads in pre-season, which is a slight worry for me, which may indicate that he isn't prepared to stay here next season. But I, but him and Scott really got on well at the end of last season. Um, if that Angrisa is used in that box-to-box, I think it negates a need for a Stefan Johansson. I think otherwise you've got Angrisa and Stefan Joe wanting to do the same thing, um, which for me would mean that K-Mac has a role 
a big role to play this season, mm-hmm. just as that screen in front of the back four. He, we know that he can do it at this level. He hasn't quite got the pace to do it in the top flight, but he's an, he's an inspirational captain on the pitch. And, and if he's fit and available, then 100% he's my choice um, to be in the midfield three. And then with the likes of with Steph Joe, you've got good backups. Um, potentially there's a need for another centre midfielder to join in, but actually we've got a lot of y- good youngsters um, in that centre midfield berth. So personally, I would prefer to see them um, being given the nod if there was a big injury crisis, for example. Nice. Really excited to see Anguissa. I mean, played over 100 games for Marseille. Bear in mind, he's only 23 at the moment and signed for you last summer. Yeah. So um, a, a hell of a player to have playing in the Championship. And we hope, as you, as you sort of noted, that he's fit and motivated and, and ready to play. So uh, everything sounds pretty good, to be honest, Sammy. I guess the... The last question, the big question is, uh, you know, only two of the last 21 relegated teams have gone straight back up, Burnley and Newcastle, the only two in the last seven years. We know that there's there's something, there's a sort of cloud that can linger over clubs after a relegation and there's, it's easy to get things wrong, um, especially if things have, have gone a bit nasty, which applies, I think, to Fulham to some extent last season, although Scotty P seems to have dragged things back a bit. I guess... What I'm asking you is, from a, a, a fan's perspective, how confident are you that Fulham are going to be bucking that trend, that they're going to be focused and, and ready to attack the championship? Yeah, it, that's the million-dollar question, and I can't help. I remember watching Stoke Leeds on the telly, first game of last season, and, and I was watching it with a couple of mates, and I looked at Stoke's starting lineup, and when you looked at players like Butland and a, and a Phoebe, um starting in the championship, you're like, my God, these lads are going to bloody walk it. And we all know what happened to Stoke last season. And I have similar worries that that may happen to us. I think there's a few differences, though. Fulham found out the hard way when we got relegated last time that it's really, really difficult to reverse that trend and suddenly dominate the league. And when we nearly went down the first time that we got relegated, but we had been in the Premier League for 13 years, none of the squads had any championship experience and the club in general had kind of forgotten what it was like to be in the championship. A lot had changed between 2001 and 2014. My hope is that effectively this squad has been there and done it before in the championship to, to, to all intents and purposes with a few upgrades here and there. So it's not going to be a squad um, that's uh, to whom the championship is a complete alien concept. And even to Scott Parker, he played for two seasons in the championship of Fulham. So he does also know what this division is about. And one of those sides you mentioned, Burnley, pretty much were in the similar situation to Fulham. They went up, weren't good enough the first time, came back down. And the only difference is they kept their manager, but they kept a lot of their squad together, which is what we've done. And then they absolutely stormed up um, the second time and then were kind of in a position by then where they were actually able to compete in the Premier League. So I'm looking at that Burnley team for a bit of hope. Um, in, in a similar regard, that's why I think that Cardiff are really, really strong contenders this year because effectively they've got exactly the same squad and manager that they got promoted with. They've come back down. They're a stronger side than they were when they were in the Championship because they added a few um, players when they went up, the likes of Bobby Reid, etc., and that's why I think they will also be strong. But yeah, um, it is hard to, to reverse that trend. Another thing that helps both us and Cardiff and Huddersfield, we all knew our fate super, super early. It wasn't a dramatic fight to the finish. Mm. Um, one of us got relegated in a, in a horrible deadline, uh, sorry, um, 
final day showdown and, and lost out by a point or whatever. We all knew our fate really, really early, so could have prepared for the season. Um, they've been preparing for the season for months and months and months. So I, I actually reckon that this season you could see a bit of bucking in that trend. Um, I, I certainly hope so anyway. Spot on, Sammy. That's a really interesting comparison about Cardiff and Burnley, not one I'd really thought about so far. So thank you for that. Thank you for helping us sort of take the temperature, I guess, of, of Fulham. I think I'm right in saying that there'll be quite a welcome re-addition to the league in terms of such a lovely away day, isn't it? And um, I look forward to hopefully joining you and the Fulhamish boys uh, for a yeah. game at some point this season. So guys, if you're listening, if you enjoyed Sammy's input, make sure you listen to Fulhamish. Uh, as I said, just fantastic resource, a fantastic way of keeping up to date with all things Fulham. And over the last few seasons, there's been plenty for you to talk about. And as you mentioned, you've done such an amazing job getting the likes of Tony Khan uh, on the pod uh, and many others as well. So absolutely brilliant that you could join us. And, and thanks very much, Sammy. No, no, thank you very much, Ali. Pleasure. Cardiff City is where we are heading next. We're joined by Scott Salter from the excellent Cardiff City blog, podcast. It says Cardiff City everything in the Twitter bio. So everything to do with Cardiff City is view from the Ninian. And Scott is very involved there. Scott, thank you so much for joining us and, and helping us to take the temperature of the Bluebirds. No worries. Good to be here. So uh, just really want to know what we've missed uh, how things are shaping up for this season. And the big question with all these relegated teams is, despite good-looking squads on paper, is the club truly over relegation? Because we've seen in the stats that it's not easy to get straight back up. In fact, we haven't seen it since Newcastle a few seasons ago. So the first question, uh, Scott, if you wouldn't mind just taking us through Cardiff's Premier League experience and I suppose how you think the club performed in the Premier League and uh, yeah, yeah, sort of what happened there, I guess. Yeah, I guess I guess you've got to go back to the the transfer window um, going into the Premier League and and kind of were quite conservative, but but in a good way, you know, Warnock, the the board, the club, and the fans were all on board with being conservative, not spending above our means, and which we did last time in the Premier League with with Malky Mackay. You know, we spent big money on Andreas Cornelius, who was a disaster, and Stephen Corker, Gary Medell, those type of players, and. And we didn't really leave ourselves in a good situation to come back down. Um, so we're conservative, and it's interesting actually seeing seeing the plaudits that Norwich are getting now for being being a bit conservative with their spending. And last season, you know, we got a bit of a hammering for not being ambitious, like Fulham were and, and like Wolves were. Um, but going into the season, you know, we were all realistic that it was it was unlikely in the first place that we were going to get promoted. So it was kind of a a free hit, so to speak, mm. um, in terms of you know small ex- expectations and anything we could do would would be a bonus. But you know throughout the season we we battled hard and you know we left it until until late to keep keep battling. Um, when you look at sides like Fulham, who like I said were were praised for spending so much money and bringing in you know experienced high level players, and they were relegated a, a hell of a lot sooner than than us so overall it was a really positive season despite relegation despite you know really difficult circumstances in the club obviously the the tragic death of, of Emiliano Sala who was our, our record signing coming in January who was you know going to score these goals for us and sadly we never got to see him kick a ball in a Cardiff shirt but despite that despite you know relegation 
the club's in a really good place. It was a positive season and, and we all enjoyed it and we're all you know still behind Neil Warnock and the club. That all sounds very positive uh, considering it was a, a relegation campaign. So heading into this season, everyone sort of pulling in the same direction as you've said there. What do you think the expectations are kind of both from within the club, from what you can sense, and also from yourself as a fan and, and, and other fans that you speak to. What do you think the expectations are for this season? Because, of course, last time at this level, it was one of the, you know, must have been one of the best campaigns you've experienced as a fan from a position of, of not much expectation. So what are the expectations now? Absolutely, you're right. The last time we were in the Championship, you know, it was Warnock had come in halfway through the season before and just saved us from relegation. So, you know, we weren't expecting it, and that was a, a great season. And going into this season, I think I think we're kind of all expecting the same to be challenging for at least playoffs, probably probably top two with the squad that we've got. From within the club, they've not really given too many, you know, soundings of what they're targeting. But you know, it's Neil Warnock. He, he'll want that. He's already got the record number of promotions, and he'll be wanting that next one. So I've got no doubt from within the club they'll be targeting that that top two. And from the fans again, I think we've got faith. We know what what the club can do, what Warnock can do. And, and like I said, playoffs are a minimum with the squad that we've got because we've not really lost that many players from the Premier League. Um, you know, we've still got the likes of Bobby Reid and uh, Josh Murphy, you know, Bamba, Shaw Morrison, who are very, very good championship players. Um, so we, and we've, we've only really lost Harry Arter and Victor Camarasa um, on loan last year. And then obviously Ken Zahor's gone uh, to West Brom now. And, you know, so if we get a striker in, definitely top two, as it is, playoffs at least. Just a word on, on Warnock. He's obviously one of the great characters and personalities and managers of, of the EFL over the last God knows how long. Um, is, is the sense, it sounds like it, that he still kind of equals success, uh, especially at this level? It sounds like, from the fans' point of view, everyone is still fully behind Neil Warnock as the Cardiff manager going forward. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, it wouldn't be a far cry from saying that he's he's Cardiff's greatest ever manager, um, which is a big shout. But the the way that he's galvanised the club, and you know, one of the most important things I think with Warnock is that he manages up effectively as much as he manages down. You know, Vincent Tan has a, a bit of a track record of being um, an owner that that can cause a couple of issues, should we should we say to say the least. But um, you know, Warnock has, has managed that successfully. He's built a good rapport with the board and you know Mehmet Dalman and and Ken Chu that that kind of run things that side with the fans, and he's galvanised it on the pitch. So undoubtedly, I think Warnock still equals success. And the the way to look at it, you know, I think a number of clubs maybe would have sacked their manager after a, a relegated uh, season. Although all three clubs, obviously, with with Scott Parker saying this year do do still have the same managers in charge but um I think they probably would have would have sacked but there's no one better to try and get promotion than Neil Warnock and I guess because he's only ever been a success with Cardiff and you know not at all to uh, to put him on the same sort of level as Tony Pulis in terms of style of play but it's certainly fair to say that he 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 doesn't take this modern approach that we see not uniformly across the championship but growing each season managers often young managers who want a high press who want short passing style possession ideally um and warnock certainly doesn't subscribe to those views is does that ever cause issues with the fan base so that is, is there a chunk of people who'd like to see better football or is there an acceptance that well, given that we've only done well 
like this, then maybe this is the, the, the right way for it. Yeah, to be fair, I don't think there's oh, there's very, very few fans who would have any concern over, over Warlock's football. Um, Cardiff are, are a working, it's a working class city and a working class club. And I think more than anything, the fans value hard work and, you know, a bit of fight. And, and that embodies Warnock's teams more than anything. And we've not particularly got a record of managers who play brilliant football. You know, I've been going down Cardiff for most of my life since the you know mid mid nineties, and the only manager I can remember playing half decent football is probably Dave Jones in that season where we had kind of Chopra, Bothroyd, McCormack, McPhail, and Whittingham. You know, so we had some players that could really play, but we're used to playing you know what other teams would deem ugly football. But on the same side, I, I think that Warnock's football doesn't get enough enough credit. You know, mm. he's he does like it a bit direct or. He knows he doesn't want to put danger in, in the own goal, so he's happy pumping the ball into the the opposition's final third. Um, but you know, there's some some little tactical nuances that that he's got. That that I think if someone like Guardiola or Klopp did, that that people would would be you know losing it over it. And I know that yeah. sounds like a like a big statement. No, but... I think you're right, and and probably you know some just I'm thinking mostly out of possession. I, I'm trying to cast my mind back to two seasons ago that promotion campaign. I mean, you could yeah. barely find a team more difficult to break down. Yeah, and Oshan Roberts, who's the um, the Wales assistant manager and has a number, number of years, wrote an article for the BBC actually looking at some of Warnock's tactics that year. And, and he commented on the way that, that he Warnock likes his full-backs to really um, to invert and follow. And the man-marking system across the pitch is not dissimilar to, to in basketball. You see like a, a full-court kind of press and marking system. And that's what Warnock likes to do. So you'll particularly last year in the Premier League, you'll, you'd see Sean Morrison on, on our left wing because he's followed the striker out there, which seems crazy. But you know, it's the type of thing that Warnock liked to do and how he drilled, drilled the team in, in defending well that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, if I could just get a, a, bit of a, a bit of a breakdown of the squad, really, or, or rather, let's start with transfer business this summer. I'm just looking at the squad depth now, and it's not a million miles away from the sort of core of the squad that we saw promoted two seasons ago. But at the same time, and, and as you'd hope after a promotion to the Premier League and what that brings in terms of spending power, it does look like there's a, a sprinkling a bit more quality in the side, certainly uh, in those in those forward areas and the wide areas. Yeah. Um, how do you think the squad is, is shaping up as a fan? And fans always want more transfers, more bodies in. Yeah. What, what do you think about the squad and, and where do you think could be uh, strengthened with what, what are we, 10 days left until the start of the season? I think the, the squad's in, in a good place. Like I said, it, it's largely the same as, as when we went up um, two seasons ago, but with a bit of quality. And I think the smart move that, that Cardiff did make last transfer window was adding the likes of Bobby Reid and, and Josh Murphy, who were who top championship players, knowing that they'll either make the step up well to the, to the Premier League and be a good for that level team, or they'll be great if we go back down. Mm. And, you know, they were top players, even the likes of, of Greg Cunningham two years ago was was one of the championship's best best left backs. And now he's our backup left back. So, you know, we've definitely got, got some good good depth. The issue I think is probably in centre mid and up top. Like I said, we lost um obviously Aaron Gunnison, who was who was a long standing player, one of our key players. He's gone off to, to Qatar. Harry Arter and, and Victor Camarasa, who was you know, Victor Camarasa's probably top two players I've seen in, in a Cardiff shirt uh, alongside alongside Jason Kumas. Um, 
and so they both they loans are finished. So that's where we need. We've, we've brought in Will Vokes from from Rotherham, and I think that's a great sign. In perfect perfect Warnock player, you know he's got that long throw. He can get forward a bit. He scored, I think, seven goals last year, which is, you know, great from centre mid. I, I honestly in, think, uh, and we've watched a lot of him. Uh, I, I, I think I tweeted something in May about how that was the transfer that that just made the most sense on like three yeah. or four different levels. Uh, obviously, made his debut for for Wales last season. I think um, a chance for him to to stay in the division and to prove himself at, and, and to play for a club challenging for promotion to the Premier League. Uh, and for all the reasons stylistically that you've mentioned, I, I honestly think uh, also he is, I think he won one of the, in fact, I know he won one of the community awards at the EFL yeah. Awards this year. He's known to be one of the most down to earth and engaging uh, footballers in, in the EFL. So I, I just think that's, that's just got so much, so many positive signs for me. I think you should be really excited about that. I mean, with, with him and, and Joe Rules, I mean, are we looking at a, uh, what what sort of formation are we looking at? 4-3-3 four, four, three, three or, or that sort of thing? So you might need someone a bit more of a screener to, to let Volks and, and Rules sort of, uh, Rules, sorry, uh, express themselves a bit more. Is that what you're thinking? I think so. He'll either play that system, which, which he tended to play um, in our promotion year. And he obviously brought, brought in Marco Gruich, who kind of did that screen along with Gunnarsson. Um, some people think that he sees uh, Bakuna, who we signed from Red in, in January, to play that role. I'm not sure. I think he's a bit more of a box-to-box, quite athletic player. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not sure if, if he sees Volks as that, or because we've not really been linked to any kind of screening replacements. We've, we've been linked to a... A, um, I think Cameroonian international that plays for Bordeaux. I can't remember his name. That's more of a box-to-box player. Okay. I can see us playing a, almost a four-two-three-one because I think Cardiff fans are crying out for for Bobby Reed to be our main man, and I think in that in that hole behind the striker, that's where where he'll do really well. Yeah. Uh, he was unfortunate last year that we signed Camarasa, um, so I think that's probably where he was he was brought into play, but. We happened to stumble across Camarasa when scouting Bournemouth because they were our first uh, game of the season and brought him in on loan and he was superb. So Bob Reed was unlucky. So I think I'd imagine the system would be a four-two-three-one, maybe Rolls and Volks as that two, and then Bobby Reed as as the one. Yeah, nice. And and it sounds like, uh, and I'm going to do a little bit for 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 your podcast uh, shortly. I know from the questions you've sent through that the number nine, the striker option, the target man, if you will, that appears to be a, a bit of a concern amongst the fans at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. It was a concern anyway. You know, we the season we went up, we didn't particularly score. We didn't have an out-and-out goal scorer who grabbed loads of goals. I think Patterson was our top uh, top scorer from centre mid. Um, last year, it was our big problem. And obviously, we tried to address that with Emiliano Salah. Um so yeah, and now we've sold Kenza Hall to to West Brom, which, by the way, I think is is a really good deal for us and one of the most frustrating players I, I've witnessed down Cardiff. And that he's got so much potential and mm. he's a powerful player. He's big, strong. He's got a bit of pace about him. He should be deadly, but I don't know what it is. But it is the work ethic or a bit lazy, but it just doesn't hasn't clicked. So you know, if the fee of around eight million is to be believed for a player in the last year of the contract, that's that's a really good deal. And you know, I'd be surprised if he if he grabbed more than ten goals at West Brom next year. Um, but yeah, I've, who knows who the striker is? I think we'll be more likely to to look abroad. Um, 
because there's no unless you know you might correct me later in our in our podcast where where you give us some options there don't seem to be many obvious options to come into that system mm. so i can imagine warnock looking looking abroad that's interesting uh can't imagine he's got the best tra- track record of buying foreign players or been that keen to is that what is the recruitment sort of system in in in, in within the club is there is there a head of recruitment? Is there is there a director of football or something like that, or is it very old school with Warnock at the centre of everything? I think no one particularly knows, but I think it's a bit old school purely because Warnock has has spoken in public about about his that he would like a you know a football person to look at transfers sitting on the board and a director of football that type of thing. Um, there was some criticism, you know, obviously with the Emiliano Salah deal of you know. Of that agent Mackay, who's, who's you know the less said about the better, but mm. I, it seems like Warnock relies a bit on players offered to him rather than ex, an expansive scouting network. So who knows? I mean, I'm sure there's something in place, and it does worry me slightly that that we we do seem to be looking abroad because we've not got a great track record. Um, you know, we signed Loic de Moore because someone told Warnock that he was the next N'Golo Kante <laughs> or, or, the, or the championship version. And, you know, he's not particularly turned out that great. So it worries me slightly, but but we'll see what happens. Scott, thank you so much for your insight. God, we've been so blessed with uh, the insight given to us by Stephen for Huddersfield, Sammy for Fulham, uh, and now Scott. And uh, yeah, it's, it's actually given me a lot more food for thought about the state of these relegated teams. We were so burnt last year by Stoke City that I felt like I would never sort of I would never set my stall out to, to big up these relegated teams I felt like there was something inherently that gets at and eats away at teams in the short term and makes it impossible to go back up to the Premier League but I must say after speaking to the three of you uh, I'm not quite so sure so we're so excited for the season to start and thank you so much for joining us Scott Salter from the View from the Ninian website and podcast <laughs> Right, time to move away from those relegated Premier League teams and, well, we're going to make friends with someone from across the border, Gavin Miller from the Pure Fitbit podcast. And it's very difficult to say that in my accent without sounding like (laughs) an absolute idiot. Um, Gavin joins us. Thank you so much for joining us, mate. No problem at all, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, really, really well. Look, uh, we've called you up because, and actually, to be fair, full disclosure, this was this was your idea and one that I bought into immediately because you, I would consider to be uh, you and Owen, who you do the podcast with, um, our equivalent. I think. I hope that's all right to say. Yeah, um, in, absolutely. In Scotland, and the way that you cover the game, the way that you cover all of the leagues, not just the the big league and the big two of course but you try and and really shine the light on 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 the leagues in general and we've noticed and we've spoken about it in dms uh, and publicly on twitter about the amount of transfers that happen between the english leagues and the scottish leagues and specifically the efl and it's not one way either it's it's kind of you know players pass their pass their uh, well they pass people on their way up north and and, yeah. and and vice versa so what we thought we would do is get a bit of Gavin's insight and knowledge on some of the players who have moved from Scotland to the EFL this summer so if your team has signed a Scottish player chances are we're going to get to know them a bit more and Gavin's going to give us some insight so if it's all right with you Gavin we'll start yep. with uh, those who have joined championship clubs 
And yep. it's not a big list, actually, but one of the earliest bits of business that was done across the whole EFL, and they must have really wanted him and got it sorted early, um, was Shinny to, to yep. Derby from Aberdeen. And obviously, there's been quite a lot of upheaval at Derby since he signed. But, yep. he, he, you know, we expect him to be a, an important part of the squad, a squad that hasn't had many additions this summer. What can you tell us about what sort of player he is and how much you rate him? Yeah, Graham Shinney. So um, Graham Shinney was Aberdeen's captain, and uh, what he offers um, more so than than any other attribute is the sort of intangibles: um, leadership, drive, uh, that combativeness that you you want from your midfielders. Um, I am a little bit apprehensive about how much playing time he's going to get um, with Philip Koku coming in at Derby. Um, I'm not too sure that he's going to be the best technical player. Um, okay. He's not He's not the sort of defensive midfielder, combative midfielder that's also got the ability to, to push the ball forward. Um, and one of the, the criticisms from, from Aberdeen fans last season was that he doesn't really get involved enough in creating or scoring chances. Um, and I think when you're playing a, a midfield two or a midfield three, that's something that you, you do want from... Because he's not an anchor. He's not the guy that's just going to screen the back four. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's a shuttler. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's covering a, you know, a lot of ground and he's, he's trying to encourage his team through work ethic, through um, leading by example, um, all that sort of good stuff. But I really do think that um, he could be someone that, and this might disappoint some Derby fans, it might not, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in Scotland within 12 months. And uh, I don't want to write him off that quickly, but I, I can see it. I'm just worried about his ability to pick up sort of man-marking against a, a higher-quality opposition. Um, I think the time that he'll get on the ball compared to maybe up here will be will be different. And uh, I don't think he'll get away with as much as he did uh, up here so uh, unfortunately for Derby fans it's not one that I'm too sold on it's if a I'm tough being start it's a tough start <laughs> yeah. but I, you know what I really like that because um, we, you know, we, we've got your cred- credentials early and we, we've definitely made yeah. a good choice getting you on look yeah. um, QPR have, have, have done a, yeah. a raid of sorts of course Mark Warburton takes charge there uh, and he yeah. had a spell with Rangers as we know uh, he signed Liam yeah. Kelly uh, the goalkeeper yeah. from Livingston now when he signed he was the third Liam Kelly in the EFL and that was the okay. along with Michael Rose I think or maybe Danny Rose sorry Danny Rose that was the most sort of duplicate names but then Liam Kelly of Reading has bizarrely moved to Feyenoord so now we're down to two oh, um, anyway tell me about Liam Kelly and tell me about Lee Wallace who I, I guess is someone that Warburton knows from his Rangers days yeah, uh, first of all, can I say those sort of stats are the stats that I live for. Never mind XG <laughs> or anything like that. It's, it's those things that matter in football. Correct. Um, Liam Kelly had a fantastic season with Livingston. Livingston got promoted from the Scottish Championship. Kelly's a, a Rangers youth, um, came through the Rangers Academy, so Mark Warburton will also know him um, to an extent. He didn't play at all under Mark Warburton, um, but... Uh, Kelly in the last 12 months his, his stock has skyrocketed um, last season he played uh, 41 games for Livingston uh, and had 17 clean sheets um, and for example that's the equivalent of what Roth- say for example if Rotherham last season if their goalkeeper had 17 clean sheets that's the sort of equivalent to what Livingston have done mm. uh, in the Scottish Premiership in the last 12 months they were uh, relegation re- uh, write-offs from the, the absolute start, um, but Kelly was a huge part in that. He's a, 
an excellent shot stopper, um, and he's someone that I think that um, the one question I would have about him is, so Mark Warburton does like his team to play football and build from the back. Mm. Um, Kelly's Livingston team last season were very much about get the ball away from their goal as quickly as possible. Um, on a regular basis, they were happy to just kick it away and then get back into their shape and their, their bank of four, uh, or sorry, two banks of four. Um so I do worry about how Kelly will, will adapt to that um, transition of having to play the ball out. Um, but in terms of what they're getting, you're getting a young keeper that's quite commanding um, and is a keeper that uh, has loads of potential. Um, but I know the, the goalkeeping situation at QPR is quite crowded just now, right? Yeah. So we've got Lumley, uh, Senny Dieng, who was obviously up at Dundee in Scotland, had a fantastic uh, six months up here, um, and he got a lot of rave reviews um so it'll be really interesting to see how warburton uh identifies who his his number one is um so that, that's what i'm looking forward to and, and kelly he broke into the the scotland squad uh as well so that's that's something that i hope he can do with qpr yeah it'd be a shame if he wasn't being signed to be the number one i sort of feel especially with goalkeepers and with the young goalkeeper who's had such a good last few seasons it really would be a shame to see him just sit on QPR's bench. I mean, that especially if he's just broken into the Scotland squad, which, you know, I suppose in saying that makes me hope and think that Warburton clearly wanted him, clearly sort of targeted him from from early on because it was it was done quite early this one as well. Yeah. So hopefully he will be uh, QPR's number one, uh, and I think he's got a pretty good chance. I mean, the guys you mentioned that there's there's a lot of goalkeepers at QPR, but I'm not convinced there's a lot of very good goalkeepers at QPR. So let's hope that Kelly's the one. What about yeah. what about Wallace? He's been yeah, around Wallace. for a bit, hasn't he? Yeah, so I'm I'm similar to Graham Shinney. I, I'm a bit sceptical about this sign, and uh, Lee Wallace has not played a lot of first-team football in a number of years. Um, he's had a few injury problems, but also an off-the-field uh, spat with Rangers, which led to him being um, completely isolated from the first-team squad. Um, and that was even under uh, Stephen Gerrard, that, that spat continued. Mm. Um Albeit Gerard was very complimentary of of Wallace's attitude and work ethic, but it was a club stance opposed to um, the manager specifically, um, and he he got a bit of a, a a hard gig, I guess, in that sense of the, he called out some things that were wrong at Rangers that everyone could see, but he was just the one that called out, and because he called it out, he was led to be a bit of a scapegoat. Um, yeah. But the positives, what I would say is that. Lee Wallace, again, quite similar to Graham Shinney. He's going to give you some of those intangibles that fans like. He's going to, he's an absolute trier. He's going to give you 110%. He'll be, he's not the most um, mobile, but what he does do is he does get into to good positions and he's quite smart with his runs going forward. Um, he'll obviously know Mark Warburton's playing style from his time at Rangers, and I'm assuming that's not changed. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that continuity might help Wallace with a quick transition into into playing um, first team minutes. But to me, it does feel like a, a bit of a, not a step up in terms of going from Rangers to Queen's Park Rangers, but just a step up in terms of what my expectations were for him and to where his next club was going to be. I didn't think he was going to be uh, championship quality, if I'm being honest on that one again. So, not a great start for our Scottish <laughs> contingent in the championship. Ah, fair enough. Well, there's plenty in League One to get through. Uh, one that I know my co-host George 
would never forgive me if we didn't touch on. <laughs> in fact, two, because yeah. uh, th- there's a second one that's been added today. So we'll start with uh, Oxford's new screener, Alex yep. Gorin. Now, this for Oxford was a bit of a problem position last season. Uh, they've got a bit of quality in midfield, that's for sure, especially Cameron Brannigan, good young player with uh, with plenty of technical ability. The feeling was they needed someone much better to screen behind him and in front of the back four and give him license to go. They're hoping that Gorin, who signs from Motherwell, is their man. Uh, how positive are you feeling about him? So high on Alex Gorin. That is an that's a it's a great signing. Um, if you're looking for someone that reads the game, screens the the back four, breaks up play, uh, just gives it to the guys that um, can be more creative, um, but. I think what the, you're really going to be excited about Gorn is um, he had one of the, the highest interception rates in the full of Scottish Premiership last season. Um, and he's someone that I would I would say that he can make a real difference to Oxford. Um, and I think that, you know, there was, he was wanted by a couple other teams down south as well. Blackburn were looking at him. Mm. Uh, Wigan, I think, was the other one. Um, so for Oxford to get him, I think that's a, a really good sign. And, uh, and I'm sure George will grow to love him. The, the Motherwell fans up here constantly raved about him. I think they were they, they were upset that the, the club couldn't uh, keep him. But uh, it's credit to him and uh, and how he had adjusted to the Scottish game. Because it, one of the, the natural things that comes out in Scotland is the physicality. Yeah. Um, and Gordon stood stood up to that. Um, so he's not scared to shy away. But he's... He's so good at reading the game, and I think he's got those sort of qualities that maybe you don't always get excited about, but you need in your team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if that makes sense. So, well, no, yeah, I think you know. Oxford fans, because they've lacked some of those things, they will be getting quite excited about this. Yeah, um, he, he's joined by another uh, Scottish player, Chris Cadden, uh, yep. who joined today. It's a yep, bit of an odd right. one because he's gone, he's gone from Motherwell to Columbus Crew in MLS and he's just signed for Oxford on a season-long loan deal so I mean I, I don't expect you to run me through the, the fine details of that but what, yeah. can, what can he offer a 22 year old kind of plays down the right side what can he yeah. offer for Oxford this season yeah so Chris Cadden uh, unfortunately is someone that's been his progress has been a little bit hindered by injuries um, when he first sort of broke onto the scene um, there was a lot of hopes around about him he was linked with moves to both Rangers and Celtic Um which didn't transpire, obviously, but uh, Cadden is someone that if you can get him to the form of two years ago, you've got a fantastic player. But one thing I would I would um, be hesitant of is he's a versatile player, so he can play almost anywhere on the right side, but also in central positions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just would hope that he's not asked to be um, the player to plug gaps. Um, I know it's a long season and there's a lot of games, but I think for Cadden's development, if you want to see the best from him, he needs to be playing in the same position on a regular basis because at Motherwell, um, they had smaller squads. So seeing him, you know, just being that guy that um, if someone was injured, Cadden would be the player to jump in or right. to move out of position. So I, I would I would be hesitant if um, if he was asked to, to move about. Um, well, so he, know, I, he knows Gorin from Motherwell, so hopefully that'll yeah. be good for them in terms of settling in. I suspect just thinking about Oxford's squad, that he might get more of a chance at right back uh, to start with. So it'll be interested to see how he adapts. Uh, you know, I'm guessing if he can play further forward, that means that his attacking qualities are, are yeah. decent from, from wide areas. So maybe, yeah. you know, maybe that defensive side of his game um, needs a bit of needs a bit of focus or is, is going to be under scrutiny, I suppose, if he is playing right back. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. I think um, for me, the best that we've seen from Cadden was when uh, Motherwell were playing him as a right wing back. Um, he had that cover uh, with the back three that helped um, protect him if he was going forwards because he, he when I say he goes forward he, he goes proper forward he doesn't he, he's um, he wants to be involved in the game and sometimes can get caught out positionally because of that but it's th- almost through a bit of um, maybe naivety um, and a bit of you know uh, young player excitement uh, about the game um, so his tactical discipline is maybe something that um, we'll need to be focused on but. It, it's exciting to see him get a, the move to Columbus just sort of came out of nowhere um, and I'm interested to see how he does at, at Oxford. So those are two two moves that I am positive about and I think um, for George and other Oxford fans that you're definitely going to love Alex Gordon and, uh, and Chris Cadden. If you can get the player from two years ago before his injuries, you've got a, a good player on your books. Right, two that I'm very excited about and they're both from Rangers to League yep. One clubs. I really need to learn more about Ryan Hardy. And the reason yeah, okay. why I need to learn more about him is, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's signed for Blackpool and Blackpool are they're shaping up in quite an interesting way this summer. And they've obviously overcome some terrible off-field issues. And yep. in theory, there should be real positivity about this summer. They've made some pretty eye-catching signings and they've got a lot of attacking options and a lot of strikers. So... I want to know if Hardy is going to be, you know, their sort of star man, if he could be their star man uh, in League One this season. Yeah, so uh, Ryan Hardy last season averaged 0.54 goals per 90 minutes. Um, okay. for And that was for Livingston, again, who we were speaking about with Liam Kelly, uh, a team that nobody had high expectations for and were almost written off from the start. Hardy was on loan from Rangers. Uh, he's had a number of loan spells the qualities that you're going to see from Ryan Hardy is he's he's actually quite a, a clinical finisher. Um, he's he's not the most mobile, but um, if you uh, look on YouTube and, and obviously we all love a, a YouTube highlight reel, uh, <laughs> some of some of his um, his finishes are, are are really composed, really you know intelligent finishes from uh, such a young player. Um, I think for from a Blackpool perspective, what I would I would be concerned about. Um, is if he he needs a run of games, uh, he can take a little bit of a while to get into his stride. Mm-hmm. Um, I like most strikers, I guess, especially young ones. Uh, they're going to live off their confidence, and if, if they're not getting regular playing time, that's something that can uh, hinder them. But what I, I, you're going to have to excuse my ignorance. I don't know off the top of my head who the Blackpool manager is for this season. Um, Simon Grayson is their sa- their new manager. Yeah, he's he's a. Uh fairly experienced EFL manager whose last two jobs have been pretty disastrous with Bradford and Sunderland, um, but who previously has had some some success uh, at a higher level with, with Preston in the Championship uh, and, yeah. and knows the club as well already. So he's he's definitely an experienced manager for them to have. Yeah, I think um, Hardy, then what, what you would hope to see is that um, his tactical discipline, if he's asked to play up front, uh, I'm not sure on how Grayson plays his football, but um, Hardy's tactical discipline in terms of pressing, um, Harry and defenders, um, positional awareness. I think that's something that improved last season, uh, and hopefully, you know, that's something that you can continue to see. Um, and I, I'm quite confident about this one. I think if he can get the run of games, he could be um, a good player in League One, and uh, and I hope to see that level of production. He's been quite unfortunate in terms of he's had a few injuries. Um, Rangers have been quite um, dysfunctional in terms of the managerial position. Mm. So there was a lot of hype about Hardy when he first came on. He got into the Scotland under-21s 
um, and played pretty well for them. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just if you can get that continuity and can get that um, backing from the manager, you, you've got a good player there. What about Ross McCrory? He's on loan yeah. with Portsmouth this season. And, well, the reviews from his first appearances in, albeit pre-season friendlies, have been rave. And I think I saw a bit of angst from Rangers fans that he was let go on loan this season. A yep. Central midfield player, what can he offer for, yeah. for Pompey? Uh, Ross McCrory. So Stephen Gerrard described him as a destroyer. Um, nice. Someone, someone who's super physical, um, isn't scared to to get involved. Uh, and for such a young player, he's quite vocal as well, uh, which is good to see. Um, McCrory started at Rangers as a centre-back um, under Pedro Cachinha. Um, that was, and uh, Graham Marty as well, actually, sorry. And uh, Gerard, when he came in, said that that almost ruined his career um, by playing him as a centre-back because he's not a centre-back. He's, he's a big build and he's physical, but some of his worst attributes at times can be um, awareness of what's going on round about him. Um, right. He's a young player, so you, you maybe expect that to an extent. But when Gerard moved him into the anchor position, um, we've seen some excellent performances. He uh, he got uh, arguably a man in the match performance in an old firm against Celtic, um, where you know that's a highly pressured game yeah. uh, for anyone that's for, from around the world. They know they know the game. But if you're a, a Rangers fan. Uh, came through the academy, you're going to have that bit more excitement. Uh, and McCrory was outstanding uh, against Celtic at Ibrox. Um, I guess you're right. Uh, I think I've seen as well on Twitter, there was a lot of positives about his his performance for Portsmouth. What I would say is something that um, just to be um, mindful of, he's not he's not the best at progressing the ball forward. Okay. Um, and that's something that I think he'll need to work on at Portsmouth. I know um they were running for promotion uh, yeah. last season. They were unlucky to um, to not get up. But uh, I think you might have similarities from, not in terms of positional or output, but um, fan appreciation for that Ross McCrory had, as did Greg Dockery when he was at Shrewsbury. Um, and I think um, Stephen Gerrard has said that this, this little move, he's seen what happened for Greg Dockery and what type of player he's came back after that spell in League One. Um, so I think there's similar hopes for McCrory um, and yeah I would if, if you're a Portsmouth fan you've got a real player on your hand and, and again you're going to see those intangibles that you like you're going to see effort you're going to see um, character that sort of stuff that you know that it's easy as a fan to get behind yeah absolutely I mean there, there have been I'm sure plenty of Scottish players who have not possessed those qualities that have played in England, but just in order to generalise, just off the top of my head and, and looking down earlier, a list of some of the players, especially at, at championship level, the likes of, of McGinn and Fleck and even Bannon, there's, there's, there is a sort of streak that runs through a lot of these players that... I, I would suggest is more of a, a Scottish trait than actually a lot of the, the English players that we see coming through these days. And you can yeah. see it, you know, it, they are intangibles, as you say, but you can see it in the in the strength of a tackle. You can see it in, you know, a, a bit of a bit of niggle here and there. That's yep. that's the sort of thing. And, and do you know what? That's a can be a fantastic addition to any squad. And actually, you know, if you look down most of the squads in the championship, um, there is a player like that from Scotland in a lot of the squads, yeah. so um, that's I think, you know it's definitely not something that you're just making up. It's something that we recognise yeah. as well. 
I think just one final thing I want to add on McCrory is um, he was trusted more in high-pressured big games than he was in games where Rangers were expected to win. Right. Um, so for Portsmouth, you might see him play more in the in the games uh, or play his best stuff when the 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 pressure is on and uh, they have to win or um, it's against a difficult opponent like a Sunderland. Um, that would be something that I I would look out for and look out for his performances in those games. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, to my eyes, they weren't, even though they were very good, always particularly comfortable against a, a low block and breaking down teams that really sat deep and made it hard for them. So, um, you know, that, that sounds like it might not fit that well in some of those games with McCrory, but yeah. you, know, you, 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 do, you do need someone like him. Um, let's rattle through a couple more. Southend yep. have signed two players from Scotland, yep. uh, and I must admit I know nothing about either of them. So okay. Mark, Mark Milligan and Nathan Ralph. Uh, these guys, oh. uh, do you expect uh, them to contribute much? I'm not as so Mark Milligan's pedigree you might be a bit more excited about, but his output last season for me wasn't that great. Um, he's an experienced Australian international, but similar to McCrory, um, he's quite one-dimensional in terms of his style. He's going to break up play, give it to someone else, and that's about it. But he doesn't have the athleticism, or um, so if you've got a, a quick counter against him, I would worry about Milligan uh, if he's got you know tricky players running straight at him. Uh, you might see that he's exposed, and I'm. I wouldn't say that that's a good sign. And if I'm being honest, and I think so, you know Paul Heckenbottom. You spoke to him. Um, yeah. If if Paul Heckenbottom doesn't think that he's going to be right for Hibs, yeah. uh, and I know maybe there's a different quality there, but I think you you know if he's not right for him, then I'm not sure he's going to be right for anyone else in League One. Sure. Um, so okay. yeah, I would. I would. I would. I wouldn't be positive on that one. Um, and the other one was Nathan Ralph. This one I am a little bit more positive. Um, he improved over time for Dundee. Dundee had a terrible season last year and got relegated um, for a club that had been quite comfortably um, in the Scottish Premiership. Um, Ralph, over time, won the fans over. Um, he's quite good going forward. What position what, uh, are we talking about? Uh, yeah, sorry, he's a right back. Sorry. Okay, nice. Um, no, no, my yeah, fault. Uh, I know, uh, so he was signed from Woking um, for Dundee, and he was it was sort of, like you said, nobody really knew anything about him. The first six or seven games, I think he was slaughtered by the fans because of how poor he was. Um, but to me, that showed quite a lot of character in him uh, because he turned things around in the second half of the season. Um, and in total, I think he played something like twenty-eight league games for for Dundee. Um, and they will they change managers um, twice throughout the season, and uh, he was one of the players that was able to survive two culls. Um, so yeah, I think that you you could be positive about him. Uh, he's he's twenty six, I think. Um, so he's coming into that that stage of his career where you, you would say it's his prime. Um, so I, I'm positive on Nathan Ralph and an English player as well coming back to his. Homeland after a yeah. year uh, after a year in Dundee. Look, we've got a lot of Coventry fans that listen to the pod. Uh, they will want to know about Michael Rose. Uh, he's moved down from Air. Uh, what can he offer okay. to Coventry? Yeah. This is the one that I was probably most excited to talk about, if I'm being honest. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. So, so you guys obviously had the luxury of seeing quite a lot of Liam Lindsay um, and how he progressed at Barnsley. Yeah. I think you're going to get similar production from Michael Rose. Um, and he's someone that I was surprised that, first of all, Aberdeen let him go uh, as a youth player. Uh, again, was in the Scotland youth setup, 
Uh, he moved to Ayr in the Scottish Championship and he was instrumental in their performances. They were a team that was also promoted that uh, almost won promotion to the Scottish Premiership. Um, I think you've got a, a, a young player that reads the game really well. He's physical. Uh, he's pretty good on the ball as well, which I think is important. Um, so yeah, Ma- Michael Rose is, I think, someone that you will be uh, excited to see over the next 12 months. And I think he's someone, if he, again, playing regular football at the age he is, um, will develop really well. And I, I, there's just, to me, there's a lot of similarities between him and uh, Liam Lindsay. So, so hopefully that's one that I think Coventry fans can be quite excited about. I don't really have, and this is weird, I think I've been quite balanced with most players, but Michael Rosen, I don't know if this is just me because I like him. Um, I don't have any negatives so far. Um, and I think that he could be, you know, someone that Coventry, if he has a good, a good season, hopefully someone that either Coventry can, can develop with or someone that you can cash in on if, if, uh, your financial state is that way inclined. Um, so yeah, Michael Rose is definitely a player to be to be uh, scouting for the next twelve months. Wow, we'll keep a very close eye on him. What about just moving to League Two? Our last couple here, a great yeah. name. This Jackson Longridge from Dunfermline, which is a word <laughs> that you can, you can actually only say that in a Scottish accent. You, there's yeah, no other way of saying that that word. So I hope you'll forgive me. Uh, he's moved oh, to he's moved to Bradford. Uh, what about yeah. Jackson Longridge? He sounds like an a, a, a sort of you know, a surfer from California. Yeah, he does. He's got all the like, the things that matter. He's got an awesome name. Um, <laughs> so it doesn't matter about his output. Good name. It's all that, all that I look for. Um, yeah, he's he's a good player. I think we spoke about him before on Twitter and he's someone that, uh, he's so he's a left back um, and he was part of Livingston's championship winning team, or sorry, championship promotion team. And uh Surprisingly, he left Livingston after being quite instrumental in their promotion to stay in the championship and go to Dunfermline, as you said. Um, but what you're going to see from Jackson Longridge, and again, I think it's it's some of that intangible stuff that we spoke about. But he's his work ethic down the the left is is awesome. Um, he's actually quite good in the air as well for a left back. He's it's something you don't necessarily sorry, necessarily always see. Um, but he's someone that's good at getting on the end of the crosses from the right-hand side, uh, makes late runs into the box, um, scored a couple of goals from Dunfermline. He's also got quite a good shot on him from distance. Um, and I think he could potentially be one of those sort of sneaky bargain signings um, that hopefully uh, Bradford and it's Gary Boyer, is that right? Is he the manager at Bradford? That is correct. Yeah, so I think that's someone that you can be quite positive about again. Um in terms of long risk, the only the only question I have, and it's not something that's measurable, um, but it was just a little bit about character or what made him turn down the opportunity to play in the Scottish Premiership to stay in the Scottish Championship mm. uh, after being quite instrumental. So there was something there that it could be something behind the scenes. You, you know, football's a very... Um, is it possible that Dunfermline could offer him uh, like a significantly higher wage or is that that seems quite unlikely? I... Uh, Potentially, but I, I wouldn't say it would be uh, significant. They could maybe offer more, yeah. but I'm not sure about how how much more. Um, and if you know, if he had a good season in the Scottish Premiership, that next move maybe isn't to Bradford. It's maybe to someone at the top end of League One or low end uh, Championship if he kept progressing the way he is. Um, so yeah, Jackson Longridge is another player that I'm positive about and. Uh, yeah, I think Bradford fans will be quite excited about him. Um, he, he bombs up and down that left-hand side. Um, so, yeah, 
good signing. Good signing. Brilliant. And now, lastly, two players were signed for Carlisle uh, this summer from Scottish football: Jack Iredale and Christy Elliott. Um, yeah. And Carlisle are really struggling to put together a squad for this season, and. Uh, to my eyes, at least, in in a in a fairly tough situation. So, I would, you know, they're not necessarily going into the best scenario here. Idale and Elliot. Um, any any sort of yeah. good vibes from these guys for the yeah. Carlisle fans? Yeah, I'll give you a positive and a negative. We'll keep it balanced. Uh, Jack Ardale, twenty uh, three year old centre back. Um, he left Greenock Morton to go to Carlisle. Um, he had a couple appearances at a youth level for Australia. Um. He's a quite a strong centre back and someone similar to uh, as I was speaking about with Nathan Ralph sort of grew into the position and grew into form. Um, so I hope that he can get a little bit of time um, to to gain that. Um, but he's someone that I would be positive about and someone that I think you can. Um, so he's twenty three. Um, so he's someone that you can hopefully you know build a foundation from uh, and develop over time. Yeah. Um, so Ardell is definitely the, the positive one. Christy Elliott. What uh, he's probably one of the most frustrating players that you you will watch because he gets into fantastic positions, but his uh, production is terrible. Um, and he's a he's yeah. a right sided player again, yeah. more of a right back. Would you say? Uh, yeah. So he he's someone uh, as I mentioned with Chris Cadden maybe suffers from that um, versatility. Um, yeah. It's something that works against him. He can be asked to play central. He can ask to be play right back, right mid, right wing back. Um, and he'll do it because he's got some of that, again, as we've mentioned for a number of these players, that intangible. He'll work hard. And as a fan, you'll get really frustrated with him because you'll see how much running he puts in. You'll see how much effort he puts into what he does. But the, the production is is pretty poor. Um, so I wouldn't be as, as high on that one yeah. uh, as it was for Iredale. I mean, so, yeah. I imagine the Carlisle fans have seen that he's played over 100 games in the in the Scottish Premiership. Uh, over 200 times to Partick Thistle, so at least you know he's 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 not he's a nobody. Even if he might be someone that we don't know as much about, he's he's played plenty of football and uh... yeah, he, yeah, he's experienced. He's played in the Scottish Premiership, um, but yeah, I think that's the one thing that will frustrate the Carlisle fans because you you'll see that he'll make like a really good run or he'll get into a great position, but his final pass or his cross will be pretty poor, and that's that's the one thing that's always sort of been with him. Um, He's the sort of player I think that managers uh, love uh, that we hear about because of the the work effort um, that you know the the hours put in on the training pitch and all those sort of cliches. Um, I think that's what Elliot is. Um, but yeah, I would. Um, You're painting a picture of Scottish football <laughs> where like the intangibles are just through the absolute roof. Like the the match must be carnage with everyone working so hard like i can't even imagine what that looks like but um <laughs> look gavin that's so so great to get some of your insight and some of these new signings i will be specifically keeping an eye out for iredale um certainly for michael rose as well and um i, I guess that is it from you because we've got everything we needed from you and more thank you yeah. so much gavin miller no from the pure fit bar podcast <laughs> uh, you're never coming back on because i just <laughs> i just i cringe every time i hear myself say it so um you either change the name of your podcast or this is your lot um thank you so much for joining us mate <laughs>